It's a new year. It's a new decade. I didn't even think about that until someone else said it. Oh, brilliant. New decade. Good to go. We're starting a new series called Fresh Start. I think we've got the slide up behind me here. And I've got a theme Bible passage for this series. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. I didn't have Rob read it, but I think, I think we have a slide of it. Patrick, do you have a slide up there of that verse? There it is. Anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. That's a great word, hey? Burgeons. It's kind of like blossoming or, or uh, blooming. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. I think that's so good. Patrick, you can leave that up there if you want, or leave that one on, whatever works for you. The fresh start, the new creation in this passage is for anyone who's united with Jesus. Being a Christian isn't just following a set of of rules or ideas, though there is things to follow, there's a life to live, but it is lived in dynamic union with the living God. And that makes all the difference. And as we live in him, Jesus calls us to abide in him. We also read that the Father and the Son come to make their home in us. Did you know that you're made to house the living God? And he comes to live in here and fills you with his Holy Spirit. It's amazing. It's language we use often. It can become familiar. But to think that God himself wants to come and live within you. That you're capable of God in that sense. Of cleaning out the room, the living room. So what's the status of your living room for him to come and sit in, right? Is it full of junk? Or is there room for him to come and dwell? It's not just a personal change, though. Anyone gets a fresh start. Brilliant. But God's mission is for the whole world. God puts the whole world square with himself through Jesus. This is a worldwide mission. He wants to give the whole of creation a fresh start. And he makes that possible. Here's the key to the forgiveness of sins, which is Jesus' work on the cross for us. It's a fresh start. And that's what I want to look at over the next couple weeks. We're going to be spending time in Matthew particularly and reading some Old Testament passages that relate to our Matthew passages, uh, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about discipleship and living in God's kingdom and living into the fresh start that God has for each and every one of us. I wanted to start, though, before we jump to Matthew, is to look at the promise of a fresh start for Israel back in Jeremiah 31. If you have your Bibles open, Jeremiah 31, as Rob says, page 658. I want to sort of parachute in and point out just a couple things that relate to this great promise from Israel's scriptures that God is going to do something really amazing in gathering people together and giving them a fresh start. So we're going to let Jeremiah kind of uh, prime the imagination, as it will, and then read Matthew with this promise in mind and make some neat connections. So if you have Jeremiah open, or if you remember what Rob has has read, there's just a few few things I want to point out. In verse 7, for instance, we get the cue right away that when God shows up to gather people together, it's marked by joy. Sing for joy. For Israel's restoration, there's this sense that there's a remnant of people that are returning, and this can refer to survivors from a catastrophe or just people who have been faithful that are now being gathered back together. God's gathering people back together, verse 8, 
their physical infirmities. We get reference to lame, to the blind, to all sorts of different people, whether pregnant or in labor. All sorts of people can be gathered together by God. Those things won't hinder them. And then in verse 9, we're told not only is God God wanting to gather a broken people back together, but he's going to provide for their needs. We get this great passage, verse 9, I'll make them walk by brooks of water. This sounds like Psalm 23, right? Making the path straight. Get this picture almost of God as this sort of father shepherd leading, kind of gathering people back in and then leading them, uh, you know, into fullness and back into life. And then we get verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, declare it to the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather them. It's worth noting the reason that the people are scattered is actually because God's done it. First we go, that sounds not very good, right? It's in response, however, to Israel living in perpetual sinfulness and idolatry and injustice and oppression. There's this there was this setup where Israel as a people has said, yes, we're going to walk with God, we're going to be in covenant, it's going to be fantastic, let's do it, let's do the stuff. And then they continually fail and continually turn their back on God. And God says, fine, I'll give you what you deserve. And he scatters them, but he never gives up on them. And that's what this promise is coming back to. As much as they've been scattered, God's not going to leave them in their brokenness, which is very true even for you and I today. God will not leave you in your brokenness. And he won't leave you in your place of feeling scattered or the place of feeling unsettled or the place of feeling um, at a distance or lonely. God's heart is to gather us in and to make us a new people, to provide for needs. And so the Lord who is scattered is now gathering, verse 10, and he's going to keep them as a shepherd keeps his flock and then we get verse 11, which is sort of the key to all this. It says, God has ransomed and redeemed his people. These are common Bible kind of words that we hear thrown around a lot of the time. But that word, to redeem or to ransom, means kind of specifically to, uh, to pay a debt or avenge a wrong, specifically for a family member. So say, say you're in a family. I assume most of you have family members of some kind. Maybe it's not great, which is a brilliant example for what we're talking about. Say there's breakdown in the family or someone owes an incredible debt and another relative says, I'm going to step in and pay the debt. Right? Imagine you have exorbitant amount left on your mortgage and a family member says, I'm going to come and pay off that mortgage for you. Right? That would be amazing. Or say you owe, this is like the dramatic example, say you owe crazy money to some sort of like crime boss, you know? And he's like coming to collect, and you don't have the money, and it's scary. And then some other family member's like, I've got the money, and they swoop in, and they're like, here's the money. And the crime boss is like, great, brilliant. This is a kind, kind crime boss, you know, as long as he gets his money, he's happy. But that's the sense here when we talk about God ransoming or redeeming people, is God swooping in to avenge a wrong, or to pay the debt, or to set things right on behalf of another family member. And this is God doing that sort of as a husband to Israel, uh, his people, or his spouse. So God himself is going to come and set things right. And as he does that, he's freeing them. They're enslaved, and God wants to ransom them or free them. And now because of that, verses you know, 12 to 14, we get all these references to things being awesome, singing, radiant goodness, 
um, reference to grain and wine and oil, like things, the, the harvest is good, things are awesome in the land, like we can celebrate, right? Their life shall be like a watered garden, verse 12. This is pretty good stuff. It sounds very paradise. They won't languish anymore. So God is gathering a broken people of all people, both those that have you know physical ailments and infirmities to those that are moms, you know, all, all the rest. Everyone's getting gathered back in, or at least the faithful of this remnant are being gathered back in. God's going to provide for them like a shepherd, not just sort of, you know, they'll be okay, but they're thriving, right? They're flourishing. And God is going to bring that to pass so they let it languishes no more. What does all that mean? You say, brilliant, great. There's Jeremiah 31, 7 to 13. Awesome. Again, I mentioned already, the idea is God is going to rescue his people out of their brokenness and their spiritual slavery. Here in Jeremiah, it's an emphasis specifically They've been exiled. There's a physical, you know, geographical issue that God is going to actually bring Israel back to their land. But deeper than that is a spiritual issue that God wants to bring all of us who are exiled from him because of our sin back to himself and give us a fresh start or a new life. And God's promising that for his people Israel. He's not going to give up on them. He's going to gather them to himself. And this is marked by the sense of joy and restoration and peace and flourishing and all of that. And notice, who's the primary actor in this whole kind of rescue mission? It's God, right? There's very little that the people are doing other than just celebrating that God's doing this, right? This is God. Salvation is God's action through and through. It's his initiative. It's his project. And he's come to set things right. And he's going to deal with sin and with human evil, and he's going to call us to himself. Now, there's a hope here for the people of Israel as they are brought back in, um, but there's the sense between the Testaments, yes, we're back in the land, but God's presence is not with us. We're still dealing with idolatry. We're still broken. We need God to come and show up again. And that's where Jesus shows up in the story of the Bible. So yes, the people come back in one sense, and Jeremiah is fulfilled, but in a deeper sense, We're still dealing with our sin. We're still not yet gathered as God's people. And so with that in mind, I want us uh, to think about what's going on in Matthew. That great promise in Jeremiah of God bringing a fresh start, right, of creating things new. The old life is gone, a new life is, is blossoming or beginning. With all that promise of Jeremiah going on, now let's flip over to Matthew and have in our minds... This is what God wants to do for his people. This is God's hope to gather a new people for himself, uh, to bring in a remnant, to bring in a faithful, and to love and provide and care, to deal with sin, and to bring flourishing, to bring shalom into the world, into our lives. As you turn to Matthew, just a couple points. Matthew's goal is to show that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior, that he's the one who's going to fulfill All of Israel's ancient promises, he's going to bring a new people together. It all begins right here, actually, in this passage. What's so interesting when you get to Matthew uh, and the Gospels, though it's showing up earlier as well, is we begin to realize that the people of God has suddenly become much more than just an ethnic term, than just sort of ethnic Israel. But now the call goes out to people of every tribe and tongue and nation and language 
to be welcomed in to be the people of God. Which is good news for you and me, because I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm Jewish. Right? But God has welcomed me. And actually, I had someone tell me once we were staying in Quebec at a people's house, the brilliant, lovely people. We got talking and uh, said, Ah, oh, Modio. Ah, oh, Amadeo, lover of God. Right, right, yeah, good. Which is true, you know, some Greek. And oh, yeah, it's like Sicilian or something, right? Our last name. Okay, great. Yeah. Then he goes, You know what? I, you're probably Jewish. And he had this whole thing about how like, everyone is kind of Jewish somehow. It was really kind of fun. And uh, he, he had told me about how he spent like this huge long time discovering how he was Jewish. Like, had a whole, it was like this whole like adventure he'd have. And then suddenly I too was Jewish. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, really? There we go. The point being, whether you are or not, God is welcoming uh, anyone who will come to step into this promise, uh, this fresh start, this new life, this new salvation. And it begins with the call to come to Jesus. Rather than just being, what's your, what's your DNA? Uh, how were you born? Like, what sort of ethnicity are you? And that makes you close to God or not. It's not about that. It's about your devotion and your relationship with Jesus. That's what marks you as the people of God. And that's why the New Testament takes the turn where it becomes suddenly all about Paul going out to the other countries, right? Going out from Israel and welcoming the Gentiles into God's plan of salvation. So here we are. Remember in your heads, God wants to welcome people in. And he's going to start a new thing where he's gathering them and dealing with sin and salvation. All that stuff is going to be brilliant. And now we zoom in on Jesus. We've just come out of Christmas, right? This is Yahweh, God with us. Amazing. God enfleshed. And what do we find him doing? Verse 18. We're kind of jumping into the middle here. Jesus has been baptized. He's gone through his temptation. He's preparing now for his, his ministry. And before he really jumps into the ministry, his public ministry, he goes to these disciples. And we find the disciples net fishing. This is really different than like what fishing you and I would do. We fish, we like put the thing on the line, we cast something, we kind of wait, you know? Maybe you have the fish finder. I don't know. Maybe you have like heads in the water looking for them. Um, but it's it's like basically you sit there, you know. Like ice fishing is like the supreme example of this. Like you literally can't do anything, right? It's 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 there. The fish must come to you, you know. Unless you have several holes. Like this is this is it. Fish comes to you. When they talk about fishing, this is like uh, net fishing. So you have this giant net with weights all around it, and you like you chuck the heavy thing into the water, let it sink, and trap the fish. It's really super <laughs> great, brilliant. Um, and then you like pull the thing up. So you can imagine like pulling the backbreaking work of pulling this heavy like drag net thing with all these weights. Like fishing for them is like super labor intensive. Like it's not recreational. You know, it's not like I'm going to go fishing and sit in my boat. It's going to be fun. It's like this is backbreaking work. It's really, really hard. Um, and you don't just sit around, right? It's not, it's not like modern fishing. So it's long hours, it's difficult hours, they're exhausted. Uh, and often you don't really get many results. Like you are constantly throwing this net in, pulling it up, getting what you can, throw it in again, right? Like it's, it's not like everyone is awesome. Like you're just constantly doing this thing. And then Jesus shows up here while walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and Andrew, they're casting a net into the sea, the fishermen. He says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They're mending the nets, because you imagine it gets broken. 
if there's holes, it doesn't work. So, you know, you're constantly fixing your stuff. He calls them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus says to them, I'll make you fishers of men. And I wonder, could he be saying here that to follow him, to share in the gospel, will involve a strenuousness, a hard work, a commitment, uh, a persistence, a dedication to the task that sometimes in our efforts to share the good news and in evangelism yield little results. Because that's what the fishing life would have been for them. Hard work, difficult, uh, worth doing, but sometimes not overtly successful immediately. Sometimes that's what it feels like to follow Jesus. It is very difficult. There's times where it's hard. There's times where you wonder, what, what am I getting out of this? Not always, but sometimes. And Jesus says here, I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's going to be the opposite of catching fish. Catching people is going to be totally different. You catch fish, in this culture especially, to kill them, to cook them, to eat them. Right? But they're now going to be turning from catching fish to catching people, which is really going to be a rescue operation of whisking people. You're going to throw out the net of the gospel and hope to catch people and whisk them out of destruction, and give them a fresh start. That's the call. And this phrase, fishers of men, it actually recalls a passage in Jeremiah 16 where Yahweh sends out fishermen to gather the Israelites from the exile. Kind of like the Jeremiah passage we read. And so here Jesus is calling fishermen to announce the end of Israel's spiritual exile that he's going to bring them in and prepare them for his reign. Now, the call here as well, command to follow, it's not a suggestion, right? It's not, hey, if you don't mind, you got some time. Do you mind coming with me? Like, here and there, you know? Got a couple hours a week, you can volunteer with me? Be okay? You know, check with your dad first. I know you might make a short staff over at the fishing operation, sort of thing. Or like, I'm sorry if this bothers you. Don't be offended. Could you please, do you mind coming with me? There's none of that, Right? It's a command, it's not an invitation, actually. To follow me, it's the summons to leave their occupations and literally follow Jesus wherever he will take them. And the etiquette at the time was the disciples would walk behind the rabbi. And so you're literally sort of following in his footsteps. You kind of get um, the dust and the dirt from the rabbi sort of all over you, actually. The disciples of other rabbis, typically you'd continue in your trade, so you would... You would pair up uh, with a rabbi and learn from him and kind of go around and he'd teach and do some stuff. But you would often kind of go back and continue your work. But Jesus here wants his disciples to be with him full time. And in contrast to uh, the typical rabbinic, uh, excuse me, typical rabbinic model, Jesus chooses his disciples. Typically the disciples choose who they want to go with. Uh, if you're kind of trained to be a disciple, you would kind of pick like your mentor sort of person, your rabbi that you're going to follow. In this case, Jesus reverses that and actually picks that up. And he calls them not to follow the law or to follow like a system of abstract teaching. He actually calls them to follow him personally. So some, some significant differences from what would have been typical at the time. So the call's authoritative. It's intentional. He's picking them personally. But it's also deeply relational. He wants them with him full time and all that that means. And folks, as I think about that and I think about God calling, I can't help but remember 
This is God's heart for you too. God calls each of us with an authority, with an intention, personally, to enter into a relationship with Him. And not just sort of a part-time, when I feel like it, when it's good for me sort of relationship with Him, but a full-time devotion to Jesus. That's what He calls us to. There's this sense of leaving it all behind to follow Jesus, of this willingness to leave the family occupation to some degree, right? To commit to him full time. And what's interesting too is the character of these first recruits as you get to know them through the Gospels tells you something about God's mission, right? The announcement, uh, God's kingdom is coming. You would think you'd get the best people ever, but instead he gets these local normal fishermen. They don't sound like uh, like a world-changing task force, right? They sound like just kind of typical people. And that tells you something very important about the kingdom of God, that in God's hands, it's the small and the weak that God uses to overthrow the strong, that are victorious. It's the mustard seed that grows into the tree, right? It's the crucified Messiah that ends up changing and saving the whole world. And Tolkien gets this right on in Lord of the Rings. It's the hobbits, it's the small ones who change the course of human history. That's a gospel uh, value. It's the weak that can found the strong. It's the small ones. It's those who go about their daily lives, ordinary lives, that are actually bringing about the kingdom of God. And so for the disciples, this call and all that it means, the call to follow Jesus, this is a fresh start for them, right? This is a new beginning for them. And this morning, Jesus calls all of us to be disciples. And he calls us intentionally and purposefully to a life in him. What's that mean? What's that really mean? I don't think it means for all of us that you have to give up your families or your occupations. It's okay, right? The disciples' call is unique in that sense. What it does mean, though, is allowing God to enter into your ordinary daily rhythm of life, your regular flow of life, and to allow God's authority and his goodness to be priority, to take control of your life, to bow the knee, as it were, to God. It means being willing to become a follower, to become a learner, to lay down my life every day and look to God as my Savior and my Lord. That's what Lord means, after all. To be the Lord, to be the one I obey and follow. To listen to Him, to grow in Him. Jesus doesn't just call me to obey some abstract teaching, but to follow Him. It's a relationship that needs to be marked by relationship. And something that stood out to me as I was thinking about this this week, we know from John that Jesus has already met these disciples. Like, this isn't the first time he meets them. So Simon and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel, he's talked to them earlier. Some suggest, actually, they've known Jesus for about a year at this point. Um, but they've returned to a time of normal work. So Jesus isn't a complete stranger. The disciples already know him. But here, Jesus calls them, into a new life, and it's a marked change in their lives. And I think it's possible to know nice things about Jesus, to have a cursory knowledge of who he is, and perhaps even to have a very sort of simple relationship with Jesus, um, to be a convert, but not to be a disciple. To sort of say, uh, yeah, I know about Jesus, that's great, but I haven't been the knee. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't really follow him. I know about him. I go to church once in a while. It's nice. It makes me feel good. I think that somehow it's a good point to God. 
So when I die, I have my good points are better than my bad points. But I'm interested in Jesus for what he can do for me, not because I love him. Um, I remember when I was in Bible school, this was my first and second year, um, someone was doing some testimonies uh, at the beginning of the year at sort of a camp out that we were doing. And one of my friends, who's an upperclassman, probably third or fourth year, and he got on the microphone and he said, I realized this summer I knew a lot about Jesus. I knew a lot of things about him. I knew a lot of information about him. But I, 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 wasn't, I didn't really know him. And this fall, I, I want to commit to actually knowing Jesus. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. That's the difference here in the lives of the disciples. They know about Jesus, but Jesus shows up and calls them to a deeper life with him. And you may be here today, you've known about Jesus for a long time, or maybe he's called you, but it's become sort of a stagnant thing where your life with Jesus just kind of just kind of goes on. Um, God calls you, Jesus calls you to a, a, a new depth of relationship in him this year. That's his desire for you is to actually be, in, uh, to abide, to be united with him, to have a fresh start in him. There's a good chance they already know him, but now he calls them to be disciples. And I think that's helpful, too, for those of us that have grown up in church. Um, in my life, uh, from a really young age, like I knew Jesus, like I knew of Jesus, right? Like when I was like four, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus. And uh, I was a Christian, like I knew him. But as a teenager and as a young adult, there's been, there's been key moments in my life where God's called me to deeper surrender. Didn't mean I wasn't a Christian before, I was a Christian. Um, but, but there came a moment where my faith had to become my own as an adult. It wasn't just my parents' faith, I just kind of came with them to church. I had to choose, yeah, I actually want to follow Jesus, I want to do this myself. It doesn't mean what my parents did or what you do with your kids didn't matter. Obviously, that matters, and that kind of primed me to be ready to kind of give my heart to the Lord in a deeper way when I became an adult. Deeply, deeply matters. But uh, that moment happened where I knew of Jesus. I knew him. I knew him. Loved him. Um, But he called me to a new depth of relationship with him as I kind of grew to a young man. Um, The disciples know Jesus. But here they're called to follow. And that was the case for me. And I think maybe for a lot of us that grew up in church, we know of Jesus, we grow up in this stuff. But God still calls you to make a commitment, a personal commitment to him as you become an adult. That's really significant that that happens. That's why actually I like to hold off on baptism until later. So that baptism becomes the mark of saying, I'm giving my allegiance to Jesus. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to, it's not like if you missed out on that and you were baptized, that's it like didn't work, it's fine. So it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. But there's that call here. And maybe you're at a place where you need to make a deeper or a new commitment uh, to God today. The last thing I want to note before we head to communion, I'm struck by this thought as well. Um, Some of you today, perhaps you're struggling with with mental health uh, problems, mental illness, or you're exhausted with striving to do certain things in your life, or you're exhausted with the strain of a difficult marriage or family life or something at work or medical issues or whatever it is. And some of you feel like tired fishermen, right? You're straining under the hard work of casting this net over and over and over again in your life. This is your life. (laughs) Today, Jesus is calling you from the shore to lay down that net and to lay down your worries and your fears and the stress 
And for some of you to lay down the frenzy of activity that has become, you know, defined your life, that you're just so busy, this is who you are now, you don't know how to stop. For some of us, that's our pride. Jesus calls you to lay that down and to follow him. In Jeremiah, we get this beautiful image that's begun in Jesus and will be completed when he comes again. God gathering people and this sense of, of trusting in him to provide for us. Uh, the sense of him being a shepherd who's, who's watching over us and gathering us in him. And now Jesus has begun that by gathering new apostles around himself. He's going to start a new 12, right? And it's meant to mirror the 12 tribes of Israel. It's 12 apostles, and he's saying this is a new people of God. Here we go. It begins with a call, though, to enter into the fresh start. The old life is gone, the new life begins to enter into that, to live what Jeremiah 31 invites us to. It means we need to heed the call of Jesus on the shore who invites us into deeper discipleship. So I don't know where you're at this morning in your walk with the Lord, or perhaps lack thereof. Maybe you need a fresh start. Maybe you need to be reminded, as a Christian, that the old is gone, and the new is beginning. But Jesus invites you today to enter into a deeper life with him. And so as we prepare for the table, uh, he'll lead us in prayer. And as we come to the table, let it be a coming to receive again afresh. Lord, I need you uh, to be the one who leads and guides my life. As you, as you get up, if you're a Christian this morning and you come to receive the table, let it be uh, an action, a, a declaration. I'm coming forward. I want to renew a commitment. I want to grow in a deeper life with Jesus this year. Can we do that together? That's okay? Yeah, let's do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the promise of uh, your restoration, your reconciliation, Lord, your heart of love for people, that you gather us together. Um, Lord, we thank you for sending your Son, and who in this passage we begin to see that gathering work take hold as he calls um, these fishermen to become his followers. And Lord, we recognize that today we too are being called to follow you. Lord, some of us have been following you for years, but we've gathered nets along the way, and we've been doing lots of busy activity on our own, trying to do stuff. Lord, today we lay those nets down, and we pray that you would be the one who provides for us, who sustains us. Some of us have been casting nets, saying, i got to provide this for myself, it's up to me, because we're not willing to really trust you. Some of us, Lord, we've got loads in our minds, things that we're struggling with, real things, and we pray today that you would come, uh, and, and relieve some of those pressures, some of those worries, those fears. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today, maybe they've never made a commitment to follow you, that Lord, uh, they would hear that call this morning, you calling from the shore, you calling into their lives, inviting them into a deeper relationship, a new life with you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and uh, prepare to lead us.